Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. It's such a pleasure to see everybody here this Sunday morning. Happy Father's Day to those who that applies to. Um, we welcome you here. My name is Antramika Knight. I have the pleasure to welcome you to River City this morning. Each Sunday, we read a psalm from the lectionary. Um, this is a psalm that's read from churches throughout the world, and it's a way that we're connecting to the global church. This week, the psalm is from um, chapter 92. We're going to start at verse 1, and it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O God, have made me glad by your work, at the works of your hands I sing for joy. Verse 12, the righteousness flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let me bow our heads in prayer. Father God, thank you for your holiness. Thank you that you are perfect. Thank, th thank you that you give perfect love, perfect grace, perfect mercy, Father God. Thank you that all your works are good and that you withhold nothing from us as your children. God, you are a God of blessings and love. Thank you that all your promises are yes and amen, God. Thank you for your, being our heavenly father that you crafted us in our mother's womb. Every hair on our head, every characteristic of our um, being, Father God, we can declare those things unto you. God, we just thank you for our earthly fathers here today, those who have nurtured and raised us, those who have walked as Jesus have walked, who have poured into us, God. But God, thank you that you will heal those who have not experienced the love or the connection with a earthly father. God, you are forever 
having Jesus stand in the gap, interceding on our behalf, on behalf of broken hearts, on behalf of those who have void and longing, God. Thank you that you are perfect and you can make anything whole, even relationships. We pray for reconciliation on today, Father God. We thank you that every good gift that you have given us, in your son's Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us, that we're not forsaken, that you've rescued us, that you love us, that we can be your children no matter what. the one thing that remains in every season is we're always your children you're always a good father Lord I just bless Jordan in the words that he's going to speak I thank you God for him I thank you God for the worship I thank you Lord for everybody on this team for this whole body I just thank you for everyone that you've brought here today just to be with you and to hear your your voice just speaking and singing through us. I just pray, God, for your will to be done this morning in our hearts. That we would leave changed every time that we hear more about you and your goodness and what you walked through, Jesus. Just to be with us. Just to call us your own, just for that relationship just for us to be nearer to you. We love you so much, Father God. We just pray for your eyes and your ears. We just bless your name, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing before we jump in. I want to give a, a update on where we're at with the giving and the new space uh, downstairs. So... We have been working and praying and dreaming about this. And I, I, think, I think part of the fault of us is that a lot of the, the conversations and the dreams happen among our staff and it's things that we glean from you guys and then, but don't communicate it super well. So I just wanted to be really clear and honest and kind of show you guys where, where are we in the process of, of this so far. So um, we'll start off. Bill has a few slides for us. So... Um, the kind of timeline that we've been working in is for all of our elementary, middle school, high school, and offices to be downstairs in the new space um, by August 1st. So we're going to be preparing it. We've already been doing that. We've been working with a lot of getting all the stuff, the furniture, all that stuff ready. And what we really get the sense is that God is trying to, God is wanting us to be faithful to the current ministries of our church. So before anything else happens in that space, we want to God to really, for us to serve our ministry. So the kids, the, not having enough space for the kids, that was the reason that we even started looking for a new space. So we're going to be faithful there. And then afterwards, and then this is the thing that is kind of vague, is we really feel like God wants to, from August to January, to begin praying and dreaming about a potential business or a, some type of missional business in that space that can be used during the week. So what does that mean? We just know that God is saying, that you're, we're supposed to use that space Monday through Friday. When it's not Sundays, we're supposed to be using it for the community. So we don't know what that looks like. And we're, not, we're trying to be careful not to have something to tell you because we want to be faithful to the other ministries. So 
We, we do, we, there's a number of people in the room that we've been having conversations. I mean, people are having a lot of great dreams. The thing that has the most, the biggest dream that people have had that seems to be common has been some type of co-working space or some type of business incubating for the community that we can create businesses for the community. People have had ideas of starting microloans for people to start businesses that have a community impact. So really big ideas that people like me just don't have all the answers to, but the community does. And so many of you in the room have been vocalizing and dreaming about these things. And so starting in August, we're going to begin moving towards those type of, uh, type of things. And so the way we've done that in terms of how we design the space is the, what we've put in there is not doesn't look like a kid's ministry or a youth ministry. It looks like something that can transform into different things. So this is the layout of, of furniture and what it's going to look like going forward. So you can see a bunch of tables, some recreational games and things, seating areas, a stage where we can do large group lessons for the kids or potentially um, things, business-related things people can share. Um, you see the middle school room down here where there's some couches and a and a little bar seating. So this is kind of the, the look of, of the space of, and how it's going to be transformable. The way we'll transform it is by things like media and like TVs and projector screens. Those things will bring out the color in the room and make it feel like a kid's room. But then we're going to be able to transition it during the week. So that's where we're at. And what, so what have we done so far? We have, so far we've We've transformed these walls upstairs and these two, we made two big kids' rooms where there was only one before and had those painted, demoed. We painted and fixed all the walls downstairs. We redid all the floors downstairs. The stairwell in the front of the church has been painted. And then we've bought about 50% of the furniture you guys see up there. So we've done all of that already. And what is next is we still need to make a new entryway down there to the middle area. We need to do all the technology-related things, do signage. Um, there's not any really clear signage, which is really important. Like The way that the layout is, is our church is up here, has been up here, and now there's going to be on the other side of the church downstairs. So if there's new people coming to the church, not like knowing where to go is really important. So having the right signage. So we have to put, spend some extra money on stuff like that because of the weird layout. So signage, the stage, and then the rest of the furniture, including chairs, because there's no seating down there yet. So all of those things are still yet to come. So this is kind of where we are in terms of the giving um, of where, where we are. So we've had 35 people give, units give, that's families. Um, total pledged amount is 28403 and we've received $17,894 of that. So, and we've spent 22000 so we've already spent more than we've received, and we've already had to tap into savings a little bit. And the amount that, we've, that has been given, that 17.8, that is um, over half of that's been given by one person. So what that means is that, uh, that we, haven't had, we haven't had the buy-in that we really need to do all of the things related to the space going forward. So, so what we want to do today is just share. I'm, I'm, it's not dreams of the staff, but it's just this is, this is your space as much as it is ours, so I'm just making you all aware as much as we're aware, right? So that's the transparency of it. This is where we're at. And what we really need is we need money to make it happen. And so going forward, we're going to halt any, any advancements of the space until the funds come in, because it's just dumb to buy things that you don't have money for, right? So we're not going to buy anything until the funds come in. So if 
if the funds don't come in in August, the kids won't be in there in August. That'll affect, that'll affect the staffing, it'll affect the volunteers, the parents, all of the kids, the youth. Um, so all of those things will be affected if, if the money doesn't come in. That's not to put pressure, it's just to say that's just the reality of, of how we're gonna approach it because if there's no money, it can't go forward. So, um, so what we wanna do is we just wanna pray together and um, God's the ultimate provider. So we're going to trust that he's going to provide everything we need, right? And so there are cards. These cards here, the ones we've been using, they're on every other seat. And there are pins on this side of the room that we ran out. So you guys apparently need to write stuff. I don't know. You guys are good, maybe. I don't know. So these are on every seat. There's places, if you would fill it out, it would be, even if you're like, even like, like me and Katie, like we're the type of people where it's like, I want to kind of see what the state, the, st the state of it is before I really give. And so we, would, we have been waiting. So if, if you're like, I know a lot of you are like, oh, well, we've been wanting to give. We're going we're gonna to halt it now until we have those funds come in. So write it down at this point. It would be very, very helpful. Um, you can put it, there's these guys here. They are, there's one here, there's one in the back over there, and there's one in the back on the tables. So fill these out and put them in. And um, after church today, the space is going to be open with some music down there for you to walk around, see the updates of where it is so far, and begin to just pray and dream about what God wants to do there. Is that good? All right, so if you'll just pick up this card and pray with me, um, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. So Jesus, thank you for your provision so far, because I just know, God, that that the way that this space even came to us is just miraculous. So we know that you provided that. And we know that you are going to provide everything we need to fill the space and to do the things that you're calling us into. So you don't call us into things that you're, you don't provide for. So we just trust today that you're going to provide. And we know that you provide through your people. So God, we come together today to, to make commitments, to to move forward, God, believing you to supply all of our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. So, God, help us to understand and move forward and how we're supposed to be involved in this. We know, God, that you're calling us, and God, just give us the steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Good? All right, that was a mouthful. All right. What a break. So... Today I'm going to be jumping into, um, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter message because of time now, um, but into Mark 14, Julia already read the passage, and, uh, which I love. I think it made the, the passage really come alive to me even as we were, as we were worshiping. So let me just pray one more time before we go. So Jesus, open up the word to us. Let it be rich, fulfilling. God, help us even in this moment to move at your pace, to not add things to your word, but God, just to look at it at face value. This is what it is. This is who you say we are. We're children of God, daughters, sons. We're heirs. We're, we're part of your kingdom and your story. And so, God, we enter into this message today with that in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, Bill preached a message on identity, and I just wanted to read some of the passages that he read at the beginning of his messages, because I think it ties in really well to the, to the passage today. So 
Bill, if you'll just run, help me run through these, starting with Jeremiah. So I'll just read through these. The Lord appeared to, to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.12, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So we see in these things, the, kind of the answer to the question, who, who are we really? Who are we really? Beloved, New creation, child of God, free, bold, holding a secure future. These are things that God says we are. And I think at the heart of it, we get what it says is that we're constantly being loved and accepted without conditions. So without any condition, we are loved, we are cherished, we're accepted as a, as a child, a daughter, a, a son. Those are just, that is just who we are. And it doesn't matter what you do, the only requirement is faith. It says in Ephesians, it's by grace through faith that we enter into this life. And so you have an identity that rests over your life that has nothing to do with any of your work. It's just because God loves you. And what happens is that identity starts to get challenged in certain moments of life. And it's usually in tough times when our true colors start to show. And in the passage today, we'll see specifically Jesus and Peter and how, how they respond when, the, when their identity is being accused or they have failures that come against their identity. And how do they respond? And I just know for me, uh, I remember being a middle schooler, having a relationship with a, with a friend and at the time, I didn't realize it, it was unhealthy, but it was really a bullying relationship. So, and he was my best friend. But he would, I remember, I, don't, I probably suppressed most of the feelings from that relationship over the years. But I remember feeling feelings of worthlessness and stupidity, that I was ugly or unathletic. These are things that, I, that he would say about me that I just, part of me as I was a middle schooler and a high school, I would just believe those things. And then I would have things in life that would happen, like I wouldn't make a basketball team, and I would, it would reinforce a false identity about myself. Okay, I must, I must not be athletic. Or I wouldn't, I, I was awkward with girls, so like, okay, I must be ugly or stupid, or I would fail at a test. These things would reinforce a false identity about myself. And so there was an accusation and a failure, and then I began to believe things about my identity that weren't even actually true. And so... This picture for me in my mind this week has been like picturing our hearts and that there is this tree of life that lives within it. It's our identity. It's the thing that gives us a substance. I think of even our logo, the way that 
There's this tree from Psalm 1 that the rivers of life bring refreshment and nourishment to this tree. And at times when the conflict and the accusations and the things, those things start to come in, we just remove the tree from our hearts and we say, that can't be true anymore. And I just, I'm going to have to do this on my own. And that's what happens with Peter in this passage today. He just removes it. He says, I can't believe that anymore. And then, but then he comes back in and he believes it again, but then he casts it out again. And so Jesus portrays for us in this passage, great courage, great courage. It takes courage to believe something when everything else in your life tells you otherwise. But it, it is very cowardly to stop believing it. And it's, it, we all do it, though. We all do it over and over again when we believe these lies. But it's this, it's this dichotomy of courage and cowardice. And so we must do everything we can to remain and abide in our identity, to keep the tree of life at the center of who we are. But yet it's inevitable. It's inevitable that you will remove it, and how we respond to when we remove it is more important than even keeping it, I think. Because it will happen, it's inevitable. Even Peter has a breaking point. The great Peter who is walking on water at one point in, the, in this gospel, and then at another point is cowering in a dark corner like a child, afraid, weeping. And so we see the long-suffering of Jesus over and over again here. So let's start in Mark Chapter 14, we're going to go, this is really two stories that go side by side. So we'll, we'll, we'll start here in verse 53. And as a kind of recap, there's, we've started, this is a continuation of the story of from the Last Supper, they, Jesus enters into the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he gets arrested. We read about this last week, he gets arrested, the the crowd, of huge crowd, Josh said like 600 people come and arrest Jesus, and Judas kisses him. Um, and then he's arrested, and he goes on trial. And this is the trial that he has before the Jews. Verse 53, they took Jesus to the high priests, and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. So he's sitting, he's at the fire with the guards that just arrested Jesus. Remember, Peter pulled a sword, so this is dangerous for him. He's with the same people he just pulled a sword on. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another, not made with hands. Yet even then their testimonies did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah? the Son of the Blessed One. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! Prophesy! 
and the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, remember he was at the fire, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it, and after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed in the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Thank you for your word, God. Let it be a light to our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus goes on trial four times here. This is the second time. So first he goes to Ananias, which is the father of Caiaphas. So he goes to Ananias real briefly in a different gospel, and then he goes to Caiaphas, and this is, this is the one. The first two trials is before the, Jew, before the Jews. The second two are before the Romans. So the Sanhedrin is who he's before. This was, there were 71 members of the Sanhedrin. They would have been teachers of the law, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, elderly men who knew the law really well. This would have been a group of the who's who of Jewish leaders, right? And Jesus is a Jewish leader, and he's really respected among a lot of people. He actually probably could have been one of the people at the, had one of those seats because of, his, because of his reputation, but he's not. He's actually on trial before all of them. And so the Sanhedrin could only bring a charge against someone. They weren't actually allowed to make a condemnation. So they weren't, they weren't allowed to actually declare the death penalty. That had to go through the Romans. So the Sanhedrin, they're a little bit tied. They can make a, a, a claim, but they can't really do anything about it. That's why they have to take him to the Romans later. And what's interesting about this, if you do some research, is that the Sanhedrin break all kinds of laws. The, there's a lot of restrictions in the judicial system for Jews that they have to abide by. And they don't abide by many of them at all. And so this is an extremely unjust trial. What, so I'll read off some of these things. The first one is that you're not allowed to have a trial at night. These things had to happen during the day. And if you made, a, if you made the death penalty, a, a whole night had to elapse before they were actually able to declare that over you. And so they, they go from in the middle of the night... They take him, and then the very next morning is when, is when the things start to happen. And so they don't, even, they don't even go through the proper time lapse. And so the second thing is that you're not allowed to have a, a trial like this during a major feast, and this is Passover. The third thing is that this had to occur at the Hall of Hewn Stone, which is, which is in the temple courts. They take him to the courtyard of the high priest, which is actually his house. So they all take him. They go to this guy's house, and then they start to, to berate him. Right? This, is ex- this is extremely unorthodox. Fourth thing is that there aren't any positive testimonies. So can you imagine going on trial and not even getting to have people testify on your behalf? So there, leg- Christian legend says that there were actually people there that wanted to testify in regards to Jesus healing them, giving him them food, raising people from the dead, and they don't give space for any of that. 
They only produce false testimonies, it says. So they, these testimonies also, in regards to the death penalty, these testimonies have to match. You have to have at least three, t three people that all have the exact same testimony in order for someone to get the death penalty in regards to death. And they don't have a single person that can agree with the other because they're just producing these false accusations. So the sixth thing is that they could not ask a leading question, especially in regards to, to condemning, having someone self-condemn themselves. So the question that he asked, are you the Messiah, that is a no-no. The high priest to go straight to the person and say, I want you to say yes in order for the, you to condemn yourself. They're, he's, they're doing everything wrong. And then lastly, even when they make the verdict, it's supposed to, it has 71 people in the room, it's supposed to go from the eldest, individually they go through and make a decision on their own. And it goes around the room, and then the majority wins. But that's not what happens here. They all, the high priest just tears his clothes and says, this is, this is the verdict. And so we have a lot of injustice. I mean, Jesus, it's not like Jesus goes through the, the right procedure. He goes through an extremely unfair process. And the natural response for someone that would go through this would be to defend themselves. Like, why? I mean, even if he had done it, this isn't fair. Like, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't just fair, unfair in our American judicial system. This is unfair to them in that time. And Jesus knew that it was unfair. Everyone in the room would have known this is not right. But Jesus, the, his, I want to look at what is his response to these questions that come to him and the security that he has in who he is and the path that God has for him is unbelievable. The first one, if you'll pull back up verse 57 of the passage, Bill, the, the first question is an accusation. They say, I will, you said that you will destroy the temple. And they're actually pulling from Mark 13, too. If you, um, sorry, Bill, if you'll pull up Mark 13, too. I'm everywhere. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. You pull up the, the John 2. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So they're taking, at first glance I read this, I thought that's what Jesus, that is what Jesus said. He did say that he would destroy the temple. But Jesus actually never, never said, I am going to destroy this temple, which is the claim that they're making. They're, they're saying, you said that you would do this. And so this is why Mark over and over again is saying, look, your testimonies don't even match each other. This is not right. And so when, they, when, the, when the high priest says, well, did you say this? Jesus, it's just this majestic silence. And he's, he's not going to validate false identities that people put on him. He's not going to say, I, I, I'm okay with, with you. Tell, he's, not, he's not even going to give any credence to the idea that, that the things, like even what I believe, like, you're unathletic, you're ugly, you're stupid. Like the proper response in, in Jesus' terms is I'm not even going to give credence to those things. Those are, those are just not true. And he just remains silent. He doesn't defend himself. And the second question, he asked him, are you the Messiah? And this is the one that was not allowed. And specifically the question that, he, that the high priest is asking is, are you the Messiah? And that's the construct that the Jews would have understood Messiah, which is a person, not deity, just a normal, a person who would have been a conqueror that would have released them from captivity. 
And so Jesus, Jesus not only condemns himself, he condemns himself worse than the thing that he even asked. Because he says, I am, and I'm the one who will sit on the clouds. And like it says in Revelation 1, I will now be the judge. He goes, he condemns himself beyond what they were trying to condemn him as. The security of knowing, and he, so he just says, he, he says his identity, and it condemns him. And the courage of Jesus to know who he really is is beautiful. But then we see Peter, and Peter, Peter's an interesting character here because he gets a bad rap for this passage when everything we know about Peter is courage. Everything he does. He's, he's walking on water earlier in the Gospels. Remember that? The courage to step out, out of a ship and, and walk on water. Even the courage in the, in the arrest to draw a sword. There's, Josh said there's 600 people gathered around. And you have, a, you have like 12 fishermen and a rabbi. And he pulls a sword like, I'm going to take on these people. There's a lot of courage in Peter. And even... He's the only disciple that follows Jesus. Everyone else just leaves him. Peter's like, I'm going I'm I'm to at least follow him at a distance and see. And so he goes, and he gets there, and he, a different, I think in John it says that there was another disciple that was, that was there that knew the high priest. He was in the courtyard already. This would have been a high clearance event, as you can imagine. And so the other disciple comes and lets Peter in. And when he gets in, it was a cold night. He would have gathered around the fire. And he gathers there. And it was they obviously don't have electricity, so it's dark. But the fire put off light. And so he's sitting there warming himself with the fire. And when he's there, a servant girl, as the light shines up against his face, notices, hey, you're that guy. You're the guy that pulls the sword. You're that guy. And so he cowers. He says, no, I'm not that guy. I'm not willing to follow Jesus. I'm not willing to be that secure in my identity. And he cowers away, and he goes into what it says, the archway, the entryway of the high priest's house. This would have been a deep archway where it would have been very dark in there. And he gathered, he goes, and he hides in the archway. And the servant girl comes, and she says, hey, that's that guy. Everybody look. People begin to look. And he says, no, that's not me. And then they all start to accuse him. That's, that's him. That's him. He says, no, that's not me. And the rooster crows, and he realizes that the tree of his own that's in his heart, he's just abandoned it. It's sad. And he, he says he breaks down in this entryway in the archway and just weeps. It's this sad story of, of, of great courage and then great cowardice where he's totally abandoned his own identity in Christ. And so both of these passages end with Courage, the courage of Jesus leads him to the floor, beaten, bruised, mocked, blindfolded. And the cowardice of Peter leads him to the floor, broken, weeping, alone. And so the question is, what do we do when we have these cowardly moments where we believe the false accusations, where we believe that when we fail that it defines us, because it's going to happen, like it does to Peter. Everyone has a breaking point. If, that's, if this tells us anything, we all have a spot 
where the pressure gets put on you and you're leaving. And you're not going to believe it anymore. And it's a sad reality, but we will all find ourselves in these breaking point spots. And so the, the beauty of Peter is that, yes, he's a coward in a moment, but he's courageous again. If you'll pull up John 21. Early in the morning, Jesus stood. This is after the resurrection. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. We'll jump to verse 15. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, how dare he? Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So you see this, this picture of they're, they're out in the boat, and, and he sees Jesus, and he's willing to jump into the water, an act of courage again to get back to him. And I think that this says, I think this says more about the relationship of Peter and Jesus before than it does even about in the moment. Because for you to have a relationship with a person that you can deny him and still know that he will receive you back into his arms is beautiful. He has this relationship where he knows it doesn't matter what I do, he will accept me. It doesn't matter if I deny him, betray him, he will accept me if I'm willing to come back to him. And so when we deny these, when we, when we accept the false identities, when we believe the failures and they begin to define us, it's just a simple jump back into the arms of Jesus and everything's fine. And so it's this roller coaster of, of great courage and great cowardice and great courage. And even if you pull up Galatians uh, chapter 2, you see Peter, this is just Peter's life, up and down, up and down. This is Paul talking. When Cephas came, Cephas is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And so Peter, Peter, he starts off walking on water. Then he's in an archway, broken, alone. Then he's jumping back into the water, courageously back to Jesus. It's this, and then he's back here, cowarding away from the people that have accepted him and the people that he's trying to lead. It's just this, like, I believe this tree. I believe this identity that God has for me, but yet I'm going to just remove it, and I'm going to place it back, and I'm going to remove it again, and I'm going to place it back. It's easier in life if you just believe. 
if you just believe that even in the midst of, your, of, of the lies, that you are a child of God and that you are accepted and that you are loved no matter the conditions, you are accepted. And so the courage and the cowardice and the roller coaster of life reveals in us in the courageous moments how to abide, how to be with Jesus. Yet in the cowardice moments, it shows us the long-suffering of someone who will accept you back over and over again. So my question today as we close is, will you believe the identity that God is speaking over you? And when you don't, what will you do? Will you cower away or will you be courageous again and jump into the arms of Christ? Let's pray. Ministry teams want to go ahead and come up and worship team. Jesus, thank you for thank you for modeling suffering so well. Thank you for being kind and gentle to us and loving us beyond our failures. And even today, as we we may be remembering the things that people have spoken of us. It could have been fathers and mothers, friends, different family members, churches that have said things about you and that God is saying, listen to my voice. Is this really who I am? Is this really who you are? And so, God, we, we don't even want to give credence to the things that have been spoken that are not true. We just want to believe what you say. So today, God, open our ears to hear your voice. Who do you say that I am? I am a child of God, and I will believe it every day going forward. I want to. I, I don't want to abandon. I don't want to deny. I don't want to give in to the pressures of the lies anymore. I want to believe. And so, God, today as a community, we commit to believing that you are faithful to the end, that your promises are true, that the words you spoke, the new name you gave us is always there. And it does not matter what we've done or what we will do, but you remain faithful to the end. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that we are children of God that you have established us and secured us by your blood. And we receive over and over again our identity as new creations set apart for your purpose. Take us into this week and show us how we can be light to this world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.